chemistry or spiritual, emotional, or physical attraction may get a good relationship started, but these things will never sustain it. It takes much more to do that. This message is the sixth in the series, Friends. The message is entitled, How to Build a Strong Friendship, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we continue our series together called Friends. And this series has been talking about what the Bible says about relationships and how to form them and grow them. And I want to talk this weekend and next weekend about how to build strong friendships, how to build strong friendships. And so uh, we're going to be looking at 12 principles, uh, six this weekend and six next weekend. So you don't want to miss the wrap-up of this message next weekend as well as actually the wrap-up of the, of the entire series. Strong relationships do not just happen. They don't just sort of somehow occur in people's lives. The Bible says that to build good relationships, it requires effort. Everybody say effort. I'll give you another word for it. It's the word work. You'll never have good relationships, a good marriage, good friendships, anything in life of connecting with other people without putting some work into it. Ephesians 2, 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, here are the words of the Apostle Paul, and he describes this kind of work associated with the relationships. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every, what's the next word there? Effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says that you're going to have to put in effort into your relationships. And the word that's used there in the original language of the Bible, the Greek language of the New Testament, is the word to strive or to labor. It involves actually the concept of work. There is nothing easy about this word. And so many times people will go into marriages or friendships or relationships expecting it to just sort of be nice and easy. It's supposed to work well. And then they begin to be disillusioned or disappointed when it's effort. And it very clearly in the Bible lays out for us this reality that we have to work at relationships. And what we're working toward in relationships based upon Ephesians chapter 4 is something called unity. So it takes effort to have unity. Say that with me. It takes effort to have unity, and unity is oneness. It's something that allows us to come together rather than being divided. Division is a word that just means division, two different visions. Unity is when two people or groups of people come together under one banner with one objective and one goal. That's not only true in relationships, general relationships that we have unity and harmony, but the Bible is clear that very specifically in marriage, marriage relationships should be unified. God wants a husband and wife to live together in unity, and that's going to require effort. Jesus' words in Matthew 19, beginning in verse number 4, about marriage. Listen to what he said. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become, the two will become one, unified, not division but unity. The two will become one flesh. And by the way, it's not just talking about the physical union of marriage there. It's talking about the coming together of two personalities into a union. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man 
separate. I don't have time this evening to talk about all the dimensions of the sacredness of marriage that you see Jesus talking about here in this particular passage. But here Jesus defines marriage for us. He says a man, a male and female come together under the, the, the co- covenant relationship with God and out of that forms a bond or a union that creates a unity over time. It's something that you have to become. See, becoming one is not just automatic. You have to work at it. Next month, my wife, actually this month now, because we're in the month of May, at the end of this month, my wife and I will celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary. I know that some of you here actually have me beat, okay? Uh, In fact, why why don't we take a moment. Do we have any folks here that exceed 39 years of marriage? If you do, stand to your feet. Come on. If you, we're going to celebrate marriage. If you exceed my 39 years, okay? Isn't that awesome? That incredible? Come on, give him a good round of applause. That's amazing. Fantastic. Congratulations. You can be seated. As you're being seated, would you agree with me that it's taken some work? Amen. It's taken some work. It's taken some effort. It's not not just something that happens to make a relationship work. You have to work at it. And so what I want to do is give you, as I said, some principles of how do you work on relationships, whatever it might be, friendships, marriages, whatever the parenting relationships, whatever the relational dimension of your life might be, here are some principles that will help you. I'm going to give you six tonight. Number one, the first thing that is essential is you always must put God at the top. Put God at the top of the relationship. I'm going to go back to an analogy or a picture that I used Uh, as we started this series, and we'll use it again tonight and this weekend. Here you are, here other people in your world are, and here is God looking down over you. And this little triangle is so simple but so profound, and the goal of life is to pursue God And when you pursue God, the closer you get to God, the closer you will get to the people in your world around you, those that are also pursuing Him in the same way. That's why it's important that you are careful about the people you choose to be a part of your life. Because if you choose someone that's going away from God, what's going to happen to the relationship? It's going to get more distant. But if you're choosing to hang out with people that are going where you're going in your relationship with God, and you say, well, how do we do that? What does that mean? What does it mean to put God at the top? It simply means this, that you make God your number one priority, that you don't lose time and commitment to God personally. It means that you in your relationship talk about God, that you pray together. I would tell you as a married couple, one of the the most challenging things that you will ever do, but one of the most blessed things you will ever do is to learn how to pray with one another because prayer is the deepest form of intimacy. It's the deepest form where our spirits are connecting with God and with one another. And so when you put God first or at the top of a relationship, it means that you are continuing to grow in your relationship with God personally. The others in your life are doing the same. And then together, you're jointly seeking God. Being in church together is so important. Never underestimate the value of being in the house of God because when you come and bring your children, bring your husband, your wife, you come together as a family to God's house. What is happening is it's pointing you in the direction of God. It's helping create unity in the family. There's an old saying that the family that prays together 
stays together. That's not just a statement that is sort of nice to, to memorize. It is a reality. Studies have proven that families that pray together, that worship together, that love God together in his house have a greater percentage of unity and longevity in their marriages. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Second principle, if you're going to build unity, you must focus on the commons. Focus on the commons. I'll give you a moment to write that down. I'm going to ask you to read together with me uh, Amos chapter 3, verse number 3. Let's all read it aloud and loudly. Here we go. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? The principle very clear. You can't get to the same destination unless you've agreed on the destination. Can two walk together unless they've, if you will, joined arm in arm? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And so the idea there is dealing with differences. Because differences, if you focus on differences in any relationship, you will have division. Because all of us are different. Did you know that? You have a different personality. You're unique. There is nobody in the world like you. There is nobody in the world like me. Thank God. Okay? nobody else in the world like you. And so you have your own unique opinions and your own unique personality, your own unique slant on things. And it is amazing that anybody gets along with anybody. But the reality is, is that you and I have to learn to, to gather around the common areas. And I will tell you something about the common areas. You have to discover them. They don't just pop up. You have to discover what is common. What do we share in common? And then as we discover them, if we don't have a lot of things in common, what can we build in common together? Over the years, my wife and I have had to build some things we didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily like that she did, and she didn't like that I did in terms of activities or things that we enjoyed necessarily by nature, but we learned to build that into our world because we valued one another and wanted our relationship to be strong. And so you have to build commonalities and you have to then nurture them. Let me show you a little example of this. Most people will form some kind of friendship or relationship or even marriage on the basis of some dimension of commonality. That commonality could be very shallow. In some situations, the only thing that's, that's common between two people is physical attraction. By the way, that's very shallow. If you build a relationship only on physical attraction, in about 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to be really disappointed, okay? It's not going to last. It doesn't have, but there are all kind of little things and beginning points that we build relationships on. And what happens over time is that either we continue to enlarge the dimensions, if you will, of commonality by growing together, or we drift little by little, we drift apart. We don't focus on it because the little things that bring us together have to be nurtured and grown. And there are a lot of us that's right where we are. Maybe in a marriage or a friendship, we're losing something. We're drifting apart because we haven't focused on the commonalities. That's why the Bible says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? So find points of commonality. And the number one point of commonality ought to be the very first thing we talked about is our relationship with God, but also other things we build into our lives. Okay, number three. Everybody still with me so far? 
Number three, you have to appreciate, appreciate the appreciation points. I'll explain that in a moment. Appreciate the appreciation points. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Listen as I read this. An instruction from the Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, I'm going to just focus your attention on that first part where it says, show proper, what's the word there? Respect. Show proper respect to everyone. To respect someone is to have some level of appreciation for them. Doesn't mean that you agree with every aspect of their lives. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you like every portion of their life. But to respect someone means that you have placed a value on their humanity, a value on who they are, and a value to what they bring to the table. Because every human being has something of value that they bring to the human table, the human experience. Amen? Everybody's gifted by God. Everybody has something to bring. And so... That person that you're in relationship with, whether it's your husband, your wife, or a friend that you have a relationship with, that person has something to bring to your life that can benefit you, and you have something that you can bring to them to benefit them. There is something that you ought to appreciate about them, because everyone has something that's worthy of appreciation. Do you hear what I said? Everybody has something that's worthy of appreciation. Let me tell you uh, is what I've seen over the years with marriages. And I've worked with, I don't know how many marriages over the years and taught marriage and family seminars and just, I, I understand to some degree what can happen in relationships. But oftentimes what will happen when there's conflict in a marriage relationship or even in a friendship, what happens is over time, people lose perspective of the things they appreciate about the other person. And they begin to see all the negatives. And the negatives become so real to them. And their, their attention is upon all the things they don't like about the other person. And I've had people sit down before and say, okay, I want you to list all the things you hate about your husband. I want you to list all the things you hate about your wife. And then give them another sheet of paper and say, I want you to write down all the things you appreciate about your husband and all those things you appreciate about your wife. I get volumes on the first, very little on the second. Because we're so focused as human beings upon oftentimes the things that we don't like about someone else, the things that we want to change about them. But I will tell you a secret to relationships. The secret to relationship is to learn to respect and appreciate what another person brings to the table, which means you've got to get outside of your world. You've got to stop and look and listen and pay attention to the value that is found in another person, notwithstanding their faults and their failures. Because every one of us have faults and every one of us have failures. And to appreciate means that I look beyond that and I find the value in you and you find the value in me. And then I begin to magnify what I appreciate. And I will tell you something. What you appreciate, appreciates. What you appreciate, appreciates. It grows in value in your heart and in your mind. So focus on what you respect. The fourth thing that we're looking at this weekend 
to build strong relationships is we must learn to communicate carefully. After you've written that phrase down, communicate carefully, both of those words are important, but I'm going to ask you to circle the word carefully for a moment because I want to talk just about that word just, just for a brief moment and then uh, bring it back to some scriptures that we have here. Communicate carefully. I want you to think about all the things you do carefully in your life. Hopefully you drive carefully. Hopefully. When you're parking your car, do you do it carefully? Hopefully you do. When you're walking down a street, a busy street, maybe you're in D.C. or some other urban area, a lot of traffic going on, there's street lights and all these things that are happening, hopefully you, you pay attention. Don't be the person that just is texting their way through the city, okay? You ought to just lift your head from time to time and, and look around, make sure that you're, you're where you need to be and you're walking carefully. We do so many things carefully in our life. We're careful. Even decisions, oftentimes, that we make, we do them very carefully, very deliberately. But when it comes to talking, oftentimes in speaking, oftentimes we are careless instead of careful, aren't we? You, you know what I'm talking about. There's been that moment when you're in the heat of a battle or you're in the heat of a moment with another individual, perhaps a husband or a wife or another person, and something comes out of your mouth that sounds like the devil himself. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay. Oh, not, not me, Pastor. No. I'm a Christian. Okay. I go to Church of the Redeemer. Okay. Not me. Okay. No. For all of us, there are times that stuff comes out. And it may not be profane. But it certainly is not life-giving. And we often will know as those words go out that some moments we'll feel badly about that and wish we could retrieve the words, but we can't. And sometimes we don't even feel very badly about it because we actually are intentionally wanting to hurt other people. But the Bible says that you must recognize that your mouth is one of the most important parts of your being. Your mouth reveals your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your mouth is important. And in James chapter 3, I don't have time to take you there this evening, but I would encourage you to write down as a reference James chapter 3 to go and perhaps read this week. And we are going to read some verses in a moment. But James chapter 3 talks about how unruly our tongues are, how, how vile they can be, how one minute we can use our tongues to, to bless and praise God, and the next moment we're using our tongue to curse people. And what a, what a, di what a, what a, what a terrible double-minded process of living that is. So we're encouraged to be very careful in our communication because words are powerful. And many times we're saying we want something in a relationship, but by our words, we're actually creating the opposite. We say we want love and unity, but because we're not cleaning up our language, we're not using our words well, we're actually creating division and contention and strife. Listen to Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Do not let, let me stop there for a moment. When it says don't let, it says you've got to put a stop to this. It's a choice you and I can make, not something that just happens without your, 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 your choice, your will. Do not let, this is your choice, my choice, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. 
The word unwholesome there in the original Greek language is a word that means to corrupt, is to corrode. It's like getting rust on something that eats away the very fabric and core of something. And so do not let any corruptible or corroding, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is, what's the next word there? Helpful. Now stop there. Just That's that one word, okay? If from this point forward, the only thing you would ever speak for the rest of your life would be words that were helpful, I mean, you know, you would say a lot less than you say now, right? You'd be a lot quieter than you are now. Only what is helpful for, notice this, building others up according to their needs, that it may, help me out, church, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, notice verse 30. Let me ask you this question. What has he just talked about in verse 29? Help me out. He's talked about our, our, our words, right? Everybody with me? Okay. And then notice what he does in verse 30, the very next verse, without skipping a beat. He says this, makes this statement, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's talk about that for a moment. Grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one, it's the Trinity. The Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit is privy to everything you do. Wherever you go, He goes. Wherever you, whatever you say, He hears. Whatever you think, He's aware of. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Bible says that with the words of our mouth, unwholesome words that are tearing down rather than building up when the Holy Spirit is witnessing that by living in us and hearing us say that what does the Bible say happens to the Holy Spirit at that moment he's grieved have you ever been grieved by somebody's behavior you ever seen somebody do something and it really hurt you on the inside I mean this last week this actually yesterday we saw what happened here in Montgomery County didn't we very sad event that happened uh, with, the, with the murders that took place and the terrible things that happened. I saw that on the news. I was grieved. How about you? Were you grieved? I felt just grief inside. Like, why? Why would this happen? And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is grieved when unwholesome words come out of our mouth. So that's how serious it is. He says, don't let this happen. Instead, use words that are helpful for building up according to people's needs so that it benefits those that listen. Listen to Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power. Your tongue has what? Power. You got to get this. Your tongue has the power. Your tongue has power. Power of two dimensions, of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you love to use your tongue the right way, it will produce good fruit in your life. It is amazing how carelessly we speak, how carelessly we communicate, and careless words have consequences. And so what I want to challenge you to do is we're talking about how to be a good friend, how to have a good marriage. How does this work? It works by you being careful in what you communicate, that you make the decision that you're not going to be one that tears down. You're going to be one that builds up. And as my mom told me many years ago, if you don't have anything good to say, help me out, church. 
It's not in the Bible, but it's good advice, okay? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, especially in an attitude of irritation and anger. So make the decision that you're going to be a life giver, a life speaker. And here's the good news. When you sow life in other people through your words, what are you going to reap? Are you hearing me? When you sow life into other people by the words of your mouth, what can you expect to reap? You can expect to reap life. And if you sow death into other people by the words of your mouth, what can you expect to reap? You can expect to reap the same. What you sow is what you reap. Two more. Number, number five, give space. If you want to have a good relationship with somebody, you better give them some space. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen. Don't visit your neighbor too often. Or you will wear out your out where you're welcome. Anybody have some people you want to send that verse to? Okay. You can go ahead and do it. I give you permission. Just tell them. Pastor said this is a good verse for you, okay? Don't visit your neighbor too often. Why? Because they're not going to want to see you very often. You're going to ruin the relationship. You'll outwear your welcome. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Generally, this is a generalization, so don't hold me to this. This is generally speaking. There are two extremes of individuals when it comes to relationships. One is the person who just loves isolation. They just like, leave me alone. I, I can handle life on my own. I love isolation. The, there, there's the other person who loves Invasion. I mean, they just love this. They've got to be in the midst of something going on interaction-wise. And here's the challenge. Usually the isolationist Matt marries the invasionist, okay? That's the way it works, right? Okay. And so the, inv- the isolation one, you see this person running around the house trying to get away from the invasionist, okay? And you got this tension. How many know that's tension, Right? I want to be left alone. I want to be with you. Right? Come on, you're laughing because you know it's true, okay? You know it's true. What happens if you live in isolation? You eventually create alienation. Correct? Right? You alienate people around you. Alienation is not a good thing. When you live in invasion, you create suffocation. Right? With me here. Don't visit your neighbor too often, okay? It doesn't say never visit your neighbor. It just says don't visit your neighbor too often. Don't invade their house all the time, okay? Because you'll suffocate the relationship. And neither be in isolation that you never go to your neighbor's house because then you'll live in alienation. So neither of these extremes, and as I said, this is a generalization, so people fit somewhere along this continuum. But what I want you to see is that in, in, in our growth in God, our growth in our human development, our also personal development with God, our relationship with Him, and learning just how to be a healthier human being, there's a middle point, and the middle point that you and I want to come to is 
I would call this middle point mutual interaction, okay? We meet in the middle. I come out of my cave, right? Amen? Okay. And my wife stops chasing me around, okay? Right? Right? Okay. And so some of you are like going, thank you, Pastor, for saying that, okay? And this, this, is, this is where interaction can happen, okay? You can't have healthy interaction if your space is always being invaded all the time. And you can't have healthy interaction if you never are entering into the world of the person that needs the social interaction, right? Another way we could describe this, this is the, the ultimate introvert. And this is the ulti- ultimate what? extrovert. I don't know where you fit on that, but I promise whoever you are, wherever you fit on that, it affects your relationships, right? And the interesting thing, as I said a moment ago, when you introverts love to marry extroverts. You know why? Because they're always, they're attracted to them because they're all social and they say, well, I wish I could be like that. And then they marry them and say, I don't want to be like that, okay? And extroverts love introverts, at least initially. Why? Because they're, they're, they're thinkers. You know, they, they're more deliberate. They're more pensive. So, well, I need a little bit of my life, so I'm going to marry them. I say, I hate that. And that's where the conflict begins to occur. And so the goal is you need, you need to connect, okay? Come out of your cave and then stop chasing people around, okay? Those are very, very important. Number six, last one here. Are we learning anything tonight? Just helping anybody? Isn't the Bible good? You didn't know the Bible taught all this stuff. It's amazing what, what is in the Bible. The last one here, be a big fan. You want to have a good relationship? Be a big fan. A friend, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. That's called a fan, okay? If you have a friend, they're going to love you at all times and they're going to be there with you through adversity. If you're a fan of a particular athletic team, you hang in there with them. You still wear their colors when they aren't winning. Amen? Amen? So you have the burgundy and gold, okay? I will not describe which. Yeah, we've got some real fans in the house, okay? Notwithstanding the seasons that we've had. You know why? Because you're a fan. You, you, you're, you're a fan of this, this Washington team. They're, they're your team. And so burgundy and gold, that's what you bleed, okay? You like that. You're a fan. And sometimes they're doing good and sometimes they're not so good, but you are a fan. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another. What is a fan? A fan's devoted, right? Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. See, a true fan is someone who is supporting and pulling for someone's success and victory. Is that not what a fan is? What does a fan do? They pull for the success and the victory of the team they support. It's someone that's vocal and enthusiastic in their admiration and their belief in someone or something. 
So if you're a fan, you say, I believe in them. They're going to they're gonna do it next year. They didn't do it this year. They're going to do it next year. If they didn't do it next year, they're going to do it the next year. And so I will tell you to have a good relationship with someone, to have a good marriage, become a fan of your husband, become a fan of your wife, believe in them, support them, cheer them on, want their victory, want their success. We all need to be fans. We, need pe- we all need fans and we need to be fans. We need people in our lives who are fans of us. Amen? I need some fans. How about you? And you need some fans in your life that are pulling for you and supporting you along the way. And so I say it this way. Strong friendships are really fanships. Strong friendships are really fanships. That you become the best fan that person has ever had pulling for their success, doing everything possible to make their life uh, as successful as it can possibly be. So let's go back through the six things that we talked about tonight. You have your notes out? Let's review them together. Number one, do what? Put God where? At the top. Number two, focus on the commons. Find the common areas, focus on them. Thirdly, appreciate the appreciation points. Stop looking at what you don't like. Find the things you do like and appreciate. Number four, communicate how? Carefully. Watch what you say. Number five, give space. That's what this is all about, okay? And then finally, number six, be a big fan. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We're so grateful that the word of God is so very practical. Lord, it teaches us how to live, not only in relationship with you, but also in relationship with one another. And thank you that you've given us very clear indications in scripture of how we are to live, what we're to think, how, we're to, how we are to interact. And I pray that in Jesus' name, these things that we've talked about tonight would find their way deep into our hearts, but more importantly, into the practices of our life. Help us to make some change tonight based upon what we've heard that will move us forward in our relationship with you and with one another. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. 
If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.